exclusive podcast from Impact 89FM. WDBM East Lansing. Bringing you sports from NBA to NHL to NFL and more. But more importantly, bringing you the full rundown on MSU Spartan Sports. We cover it all. Get us on the phone at 432-3893. And now, the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Welcome into the Spartan Sports Wrap. My name is Pavel. Scott is not with us this week. His grandfather died, so he's going home to take care of business. But I will be with you here for the next hour, along with Jamal Spencer from FSN Detroit. Jamal, just like old times, just like the last few years, if you've listened to the show, along with Dan Duggar. Jamal, you've been on with me before, like old times. Welcome back. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's good to be back. You know, real comfortable here. (laughs) Absolutely. These chairs are real comfy, too, huh? Right. Right. (laughs) All right, well, we're going to kick off the Spartan Sports Wrap. If you have any comments, questions, if you want to get on and talk on the air, call us at 432-3893. We're going to wrap up last night's MSU basketball win against Wisconsin. 60 to 50, you know, 62, what was the score? I don't even know the score anymore. I don't know either. 60 to 39. 40. 60 to, 61-40. What was it? You're struggling, man. 60 to 51. You're struggling, man. Oh, man, I'm struggling right off the bat. Well, you know, it didn't look good at first. It looked like, you know, everybody was leaving. It was 41-29, and uh, I saw people grab their coats and leave. I mean, I I heard the same thing. Like, a buddy of mine's got his own tickets, and he was talking about how quiet it was. And when they got up 41-29, I was listening to it on the radio. I was on my way back from Grand Rapids, and the announcers was just saying how quiet it was, and no one was really into the game, and... Apparently, Izzo got in a whole bunch of people at that point, you know, and really, really chewed some butts. So it was good that they finally pulled it together. You know, uh, it seemed like MSU could feel that Big Ten title slipping away with that loss. That loss would have probably cost them the Big Ten title. It's it's tough because I honestly believe even if they lost that game, they still got a chance against Purdue. Like, if they had lost that game last night, so long as they beat Purdue and Illinois, because they've still got to play both of those guys— they control their own destiny, so they could lose against Iowa. But if they beat, or you know, in Iowa or Indiana, but if they beat Purdue and Illinois, they're still good. Yeah, obviously the 1979 national championship team was in the house. Magic Johnson was sitting right behind Izzo, and Izzo mentioned after the game that you know, yeah, it was pressure because his mentor Judd Heathcote was there, yep. Magic Johnson was there, the whole '79 team was there, yep. and he didn't want to rain on their parade. He wanted to win, and you know. That huddle at the 12-minute mark of the second half, it was 41-29, and Travis Walton said after the game, that was like the most intense huddle that they've had the entire season because Tom Izzo chewed out Goran Sutan after he airballed two threes. I mean, these guys, their heads were not in it. They didn't play with any passion. And enter Delvon Rowe and Draymond Green, two freshmen who absolutely sparked the 32-9 run that they finished on and went on winning. I mean, if you if you play for Michigan State and you come in and you look up at the rafters, three of the names on those rafters were on that 79 team. You know, you had Kelser, you had Magic, you know, you had Jay Vincent. They were all big, big, big players on that team, and they were all at the game. You know, Judd Heathcote was there. So the players definitely wanted to come out and, you know, please the, the old guys and, you know, get the victory. But, you know, nerves alone, they, they had to still come out and play, and I don't think they did that. You know, Tom Herzog got the team off to a great, great start. But, you know, they couldn't sustain that momentum. I guess when he came out the game, the momentum came out of the game too. But, uh, you know, that, that going back to that timeout that Walton was talking about, I, I think Izzo's been very careful with this team saying, well, you know, you guys are kind of soft. I don't want to yell at you. He kind of became vintage Izzo and really lost it and went after these guys. And you saw Sutan's second half really show what the coach was talking about. All right, we're joined by Alex Altman, the men's basketball reporter for the State News. Welcome in, Alex. What did you think about the game last night against Wisconsin? Well, you know, it was an interesting game. Certainly didn't seem like we won that game by 11 points. We trailed for most of it. Uh, really, for most of the game, we played really poorly offensively. Our execution was flawed. Defensively, we uh, put together a great effort. In fact, Izzo couldn't stop complimenting how well the defense played uh, today during his press conference and yesterday during the postgame press conference. So, you know, you got to give them credit for, for kind of clamping down defensively. But on the offensive end... Poor execution put us in a hole, but you know, fortunately, Sutan got his act together, and we dug out of it pretty, pretty impressively. You know, the thing that stands out to me after watching last night's game, <clears throat> these guys, 
they don't play with much heart. I mean, they were not playing with much heart, and it's been a problem for most of the year. They These guys don't seem to get up for anything. I mean, those two home losses, I mean, their warm-up, their pregame warm-up against Northwestern was pathetic. I mean, they showed no heart, no, you know, they were not in the zone. They didn't really feel like anything could really change them, affect them. Travis Walton might be the most intense guy on the team, and if I had the choice, I would put all three freshmen in because they have that passion, that kind of old-school Michigan State basketball player mentality. I think it depends. I mean, I, I can't say they got no heart or any hustle. I think it all depends on their start. If you look at last night's game plus Penn State plus Northwestern, just look at look at how they, they start the game. When they start out with a couple of turnovers, a couple of missed shots, now their confidence is down. It's not that they don't come out hyped up. Like I said, you saw when Herzog got that bucket, that place went nuts. You know, the bench was hyped up. They were ready to go. But then you make a couple sloppy passes. Now you got turnovers. Now you're, you know, Chris Allen's not hitting the broadside of a barn, and you know nothing's going right. That's when the team starts getting it down on themselves. So I don't want to call it, you know, just like a lack of effort or a lack of heart. It's just a lack of execution. If they don't come out the gates firing, it's going to be a rough night usually for them. The word I like to use is swagger. I think right now the team has a lack of swagger. You look back at the team that won the, you know, the title in 2000, the team that won it in 79. Those teams had swagger. You know, they they entered they, they on the court every single day. They 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 knew that they were better than the other team. And this team, it's kind of kind of subdued, a little quiet. Um, you kind of look for that leadership. Travis Walton provides it, but outside of him, you'd like to see some of these guys step up. I mean, Darrell Summers, Chris Allen, naturally guys are, who are a little soft-spoken. Kalen Lucas has done a better job this year of becoming more vocal and becoming that leader that Izzo wants to, you know, wants out of his point guard. But other than, you know, other than Walton, really, there there is a lack of swagger and really a lack of you 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 want you want to say a lack of confidence on this team in some in some respects but they have a chance to be that kind of team to play with that swagger because we have rarely we have yet to see the full strength Michigan State team for this year you know uh Goran Sutan was out early in the year with that knee injury and then when you get him back after the UNC game you know they actually right there was like the closest they've ever been to full strength because they reel off a whole bunch of wins after that UNC game and then Raymar Morgan goes out and now Corey Lucius is sick so you don't you don't have the full Michigan State team and hopefully they can get it together and have it full strength for the Big 10 tournament for the NCAA tournament and how good can this team actually be if they are full strength I think they need to give up that pipe dream like this is a great team when they're not a full strength like I don't I, I think people need to realize that Raymar's illness took a lot of things from him that you know, and maybe it's more mental than it is physical. Because if you look at him on the court, I'm not going to say he's lost, but he's got to get his game back. He's got to get his win back. He's got to get his feel for the game back. When you miss almost a month of playing time, no practicing, no anything, it's going to take you a while. So by the time that everybody's at full health, well, how are you going to work the rotation? Who's going to lose minutes when Raymar's back? Does that mean Darrell's not going to play anymore? And what happens when Lucius comes back? Who's going to sit out then? So when you get back to full strength, I think you might have to worry about losing a little bit of chemistry. Like, we noticed that when Raymar played in the last game against <laughs> Purdue. It's not that he wasn't playing great. It's just that maybe you might not have wanted him in for that long of a time. Well, Izzo even said that today. I mean, the fact that, you know, Raymar probably won't be fully healthy for two weeks, but even when he is healthy, he's going to have to acclimate into the lineup, and then, you know, his teammates are going to have to learn all over again how to how to use him and, you know, what his strengths are. And, you know, not playing with the guy for about a month, that can kind of throw off the continuity of a team. They've been used to playing with the Raw Summers in the starting lineup, and Summers and Morgan are different types of players. Morgan is more versatile, while the Raw Summers is very athletic. He's got a great three-point shot. You know, they just, they just do different things together on the court, and so it's going to take a while for them to gel once again, you know, on, on, the, on the hardwood. And by the time they do gel, that might not be till the NCAA tournament. That might not be till you know the off season. So they've really got to kind of work with what they have. They can't keep waiting for everything to be right. They can't be waiting for that pipe dream to come true, as you said. And uh, you know, I, I think they will. I, I think they will. There's enough depth, enough talent on this team where I think they can overcome those shortcomings. But they're gonna have to start doing it pretty soon as the season winds down. You know, with that said, uh, seeing how Penn State went into Illinois and won. I think we're all circling that Illinois game as that potential loss, one of the few the rest of the way. One, The only one might be for MSU. So does MSU go into Illinois and win? And do they win this Big Ten title? Do they keep Purdue? Do they hold off Purdue? Because it seems like Purdue's just uh, nabbing at their heels right now. You got Purdue coming to the Breslin for the last game of the year 
on senior day. Taking care of business. There's no way Michigan State loses that game. Now, as we speak about Illinois, that's a possibility. That's 50-50. Like I said, if they come out firing and quieting the crowd down a little bit, because that's going to be a great crowd at Assembly Hall, I think Michigan State's got a chance. But if they come out in the first half and struggle offensively and have to really, really, really play that shutdown defense, they might not have <clears> their, <throat> their legs in the second half to get the offense going. So I think... Illinois is a toss-up. Can't call it right now, but I guarantee you they win that game against Purdue. Yeah, I agree. I think they'll win at Purdue. Um, against Illinois, though, I do think they'll lose, and that's not because they, they don't have the talent. It's because if anyone's ever seen you know, the Illinois home arena, I mean, those fans are go absolutely bonkers. They're you know decked out in their orange crush uniforms, and you know, it's just it's bedlam in there. It's a really, really, really difficult place to play. And, you know, MSU has had some trouble, even though they've been great on the road in the past. They've had some trouble in that arena, despite playing some inferior teams. And so, but here's the thing, though. Even if Illinois, even if they do lose in Illinois and they beat Purdue, if, if, they, if Illinois is the only game they lose the rest of the way, they'll still win the Big Ten because they, 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 uh, they'll, they'll take care of Purdue in the tiebreaker. And so they've just got to make sure they take care of business. They can't overlook teams like Iowa and Indiana. Losses to teams like that would just be devastating, and I don't think it will happen, I think. Hopefully this team has is, is learned lessons from the loss to Northwestern and, Purdue, and Penn State at home. But, you know, you never know with this team because there are those inconsistencies that kind of drive you nuts. But I, I do think this team is destined to win the Big Ten title. And if they don't, I really would be shocked. Now, with that said, uh, the new rankings came out today. Pittsburgh's number one after beating UConn. Uh, last week, number one, two, and three go down. Oklahoma loses, and they actually have lost Blake Griffin for tonight's game. He's going to be out for their big game against Kansas with a concussion. So Blake Griffin, they lost against Texas, and Texas actually comes back into top, in the top 25. They're number 25 actually after beating Oklahoma. But this game, Oklahoma 11-1 in the conference in Big 12. So is Kansas. That's a big one right there too. But you know, going, going back to Michigan State, I think you know, we have Iowa on Wednesday. These guys, after seeing what Iowa did in overtime, they just went off on Michigan yesterday. What do you see Iowa against it's, Michigan it's State? Mi- it's Michigan. <laughs> that, that's that's how I throw that out the window. It's Michigan. Michigan's not going to the tournament. They're going to the NIT. They might get lucky and win that because I think they've already won three in the last five or something like that. <laughs> something. At least two they've won. So I don't know. It's, Iowa's a good team. All these Big Ten teams, they're good teams. But it's like you said, which Michigan State team shows up? If the team that came out against Minnesota shows up, then this game isn't going to be close. But if they play like they played in the first half against Wisconsin, it may be different. As good a team as Iowa is, I still don't think they're anywhere near as close as Michigan State. Although Iowa can't score the third in the Big Ten in scoring defense, and that, a lot of that has to do with the fact that they slow it down and so opposing teams take less shots than, say, teams take against a Michigan State team that runs the ball up court all the time. But that being said, Iowa, you know, they, they still do have some weapons on offense. Jay Kelly, as I was saying today, you know, he respects him a lot as a point guard. Kelly's the kind of multi-dimensional guy that he scored, I believe, 25 or 26 against Michigan in that overtime game. And um, Iowa is uh, kind of a, a lot like Michigan State has suffered a few injuries this season between, uh, you know, uh, uh, Jeff Peterson, who got hurt a couple of games ago, and Cyrus Tate, their, uh, their senior forward. They do have some injuries, but they still have some weapons around them with, with Kelly and then with uh, Palmer and then uh, their, their freshman, Matt Gaines. So they've got a few guys, but that being said, Michigan State should not have any trouble taking care of them as long as they play with that mentality that you know we all know that they can play with, but they haven't been playing with. There's something that I don't think gets enough attention that Iowa has in their favor. Iowa beat Michigan State last year. That the, a team last year that was picked to win the Big Ten. That game was in Iowa. Yeah, I know a lot of bad calls were made. It was a lot of free throws, a low-scoring game. 36 points. But Iowa has that we've done this before. We've beat this team before. Just like every other team in the Big Ten kind of had, Purdue can say that now, or, you know, Penn State, Northwestern. A lot of these teams can say, hey, we've already beaten Michigan State. They don't scare us. So Iowa can actually come in here and play well. I wouldn't be surprised to see them come out you know, guns firing and just showing no fear because they've already beat Michigan State. Not so fast. In the last 15 meetings, overall, home or away, actually, Iowa yes, leads Mich- it. No, MSU leads it 8-7. to seven, but, but Michigan State's lost like the last six at Iowa. Exactly, but Iowa has not won in East Lansing in almost 10 years. Yeah, well, Northwestern had never won in East Lansing. Penn State had won yeah. in East You know, so <laughs> you never know. So we'll see. All right. Well, um, another thing that Izzo talked about today in his press conference, Alex, you were there. Um, the fact that Kalen Lucas might be wearing down a little bit, and it hurts. 
it's tough because Raymar Morgan is out who can, you know, get that offensive production to fill that void. But it's also bad when you see a guy like Corey Lucius who's right behind Kalen Lucas. You know, he's sick, and he can't really provide that relief for Kalen. So Kalen's got to stay out there for a long time. Yeah, Kalen's, uh, the minutes that he's been logging, I actually did the math today because I wrote a little story on it for the State News, not to plug or anything like that, <laughs> but over his last 11 games, he's averaged 33 minutes, and that is a lot for a point guard, especially one who is uh, asked to do as much as Kalen Lucas has to do for the Michigan State basketball team. Um, and so it does worry me. It does worry me that down the stretch, he will kind of hit a wall. Last season, he was a backup for most of the year. He started toward the end of the season, but even still, he did not play nearly as many minutes as he's been logging now. So you don't know how a guy like that is going to react. You don't know how his body is going to respond. And so he really needs, I'd like to see him in these next two games, both, I would say, easy wins against Iowa and Indiana. I'd like to see him kind of rest a little bit. Unfortunately, Lucius's injury uh, might prevent Izzo from feeling confident enough to do that. But I'm sorry, not Lucius's injury, but his, his flu bug. Hopefully he will be. He looked pretty good in practice today. So hopefully by Wednesday he will be good to go. But it definitely is a, is a concern to me um, how many minutes he has been playing. So hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that later in the season. I know Izzo is cognizant of uh, those minutes. See, here's the problem that Izzo created for himself. <laughs> this team has three point guards, which is a luxury that a lot of teams don't have. The problem that Izzo created is that two of them play at the same time. Caitlin Lucas and Travis Walton are on the on the court at the same time for most of these most of the game. So now is he going to try to bring one off the bench? Because if if Corey Lucius can't go, now you got two point guards playing at the same time. So who's your backup point guard? That's that's something that I think Izzo needs to start thinking about because he can't continue playing, you know. Kalen Lucas 33 minutes a game and still expect to get that lockdown defense out of Travis playing that whole game and have them on the court at the same time. Something's got to give. And I don't know what he's going to do, but if you're trying to cut Kalen's minutes, who's going to pick those minutes up? Because it might not be Travis Walton. No, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 the only thing I can say is that I like what Corey Lucius does when he's on the court. I think he's got a great shot, and I think that he is the future point guard because I don't know how long Kalen Lucas might be around. Well, I mean, if you think about it, I might be wrong. You've got some stats in front of you. Out of the three freshmen, I think he's played the least. I think Lucius is the one that's played minute-wise the least. Delvon's played a ton since his knee's gotten stronger. You're starting to see what Draymond Green can really do because he's, he's getting more minutes, and he's become a very consistent passer and a versatile guy. I really think Corey Lucius hasn't played as much as those two guys. I may be wrong, but that's just that's that's what I'm thinking. Seems like his minutes have kind of decreased lately. Um, he he has struggled um in the, in the past couple of weeks with his shot, and he's also kind of made some careless mistakes out there. Not not careless, but mistakes that you know often are associated with young point guards that they're prone to making. True freshman but mistakes. I, I, you know, I, I do like Corey Lucius a lot. I, I think what he is is he's a spark plug. You know, he, he's carved a niche as someone who will come off the bench and hit a big three every now and then, make a pass play pretty decent defense and really give his team energy. And so um, hopefully he'll be good to go for Wednesday. And, uh, you know, I really have no doubts that he will. Now I'm looking at the stats here, and uh, because Corey Lucius missed the game yesterday, uh, Draymond Green has actually jumped ahead. Or actually what happens is Corey Lucius has played more by 15 minutes. Okay. So Draymond Green actually closed the gap a little bit. Because of the last night because he missed the game. Exactly. Okay. So 9.2 minutes a game for Corey, and day-to-day play is 8.8. Lucius actually did play for one minute yesterday, so those really? will be taken into the stats. Yeah, he played for, uh, he went in there for about a minute, um, I believe, like midway through the first half. So, But that that's it, so those numbers are taken into account. You know, on a bit of a random note, uh, I actually really liked Tom Herzog's move that on his uh, only basket. Yeah, that was I really like that. that, that Mike Tisdale style. That was pretty. He pump faked, he it was a crafty move, he went through the paint and he made a really nice reverse layup and that was awesome today. The crowd just started going bonkers when he made that shot and you know, it was the first shot of the game, broke a scoreless tie and so, you know, the crowd was popping him and then <laughs> and then he pumped his chest on the way yeah. back down the court. And Herzog talked about that today. He, he kind of <laughs> snuck, kind of snuck out in the media room. He said he was so excited that he got to start that before he had a chance to interview with the media members of the media. He wanted to go celebrate with his parents because his parents were really happy for him. He actually said that experience, being on the court for three minutes, there was the best experience of his life. He actually said that, and so he was downright giddy today. 
um, I, I, talking I got, to the media. I got to be the only guy in East Lansing that hasn't seen that move. Because like I told you, I missed the first half. I was listening to it on the radio. I was in the car. And I'm in, I was trying to find it on the Internet. I've been trying to find it everywhere. I hear he's pumping his, pumping his chest and jumping up and down. They have it on demand okay. on cable. Okay, so I got to find it. They do have it. I got to find it on, on demand. Or the somebody Big Ten that, Network does have it. Somebody that TiVo the game, give me a call. I'll come over so I can watch Herzog, <laughs> you know, get his lone points as a Spartan, you know. You know, the only thing I can take out of that is I hope that it's – Kind of the case like Illinois' Mike Tisdale because it's a seven-footer, and you just see what Mike Tisdale is doing now. He, you know, he's making some outside shots. I don't think Herzog is going to ever have an outside game like Mike Tisdale, but he, you know, with that kind of move he showed yesterday, he can have a decent impact inside for next year. Considering Idong Ibak is going to be gone and Gray and Sutan, so he's going to have to be an impact player next year. You're looking at a front quarter Herzog and Delvon Rowe in my eyes next year, and they might go smaller than that and have Day-Day and Delvon Rowe, but bottom line is Herzog's going to get some minutes Because there's two recruits coming in, the two big Garrick Sherman and Derek Nix. I don't think Derek Nix is going to be ready. I mean, I think they're going to have to redshirt him because he's a, he's a big boy. Yep. A lot like so, Draymond Green in terms of body and kind of uh, needs I, to I, slim he, down a little bit. And I've seen him. He chisel, looks twice so. as big as Jay, Draymond the, the Green. Di- <laughs> the difference is, though, that Draymond had a little bit more baby fat on him. Derek Nix is a, a stockier, stronger guy. He's like so. uh, like the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I, I, I really don't know if Herzog is going to be ready to start next year, but whether he starts or not, he is going to need to be, I'd say, a valuable member of the team, at least off the bench. I mean, what you saw in that move, and again, I don't want to put too much stock in that one move, but you saw a guy who knows what he's doing out there. I mean, if you don't know what you're doing, you don't make a move like that. I mean, he's long. He's seven feet. You know, he's he's got a couple moves around the basket, no outside game to speak of, but the biggest thing right now with him is his anxiety. He's come out earlier this year and said that when he runs on the court, he feels anxious. That wasn't a problem that bothered him in high school, but it's a problem that he kind of addressed again today when, you know, there are 15,000 fans clamoring in the seats. You, you somehow, you get a little nervous, and some players, I guess, are unfazed by that, but he is, so hopefully he, he he's, you know, hopefully he's not in the future. You're listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap here on the Impact 89 FM. If you want to get a hold of us, call us at 432-3893. That's 432-3893. And one thing I wanted to talk about, um, well, actually, we're going to move on. We're going to talk some NFL Combine because that's the uh, sweet spot. That's the thing that's going on right now. And we're going to start with Michael Crabtree. It comes out he's supposed to be out 10 weeks with an injured left foot, a fractured left foot. But he says the next day, he comes out and says, I'm going to put off surgery. I'm going to run the 40. When he was not even planning to run or participate in the NFL Combine, but now since the injury came out, he's going to participate in the 40. He could seriously injure himself. Is this the right move? Has his stock just dropped? If I was Michael Crabtree and I was 100% healthy, I wouldn't run the 40. If And I don't understand why he feels the need to work out when for the last two years he's been the best wide receiver in college football. Everyone knows that. Any GM that's at the combine knows that. Any head coach knows that. So for the fact that him to have a stress fracture and he still goes, well, I'm going to run and then have surgery. He could run like a 4-9. He could run a 5 and drop by the first round entirely. This is a horrible decision by him, especially if he makes his foot worse. You know, if he if he runs like a 4-9 or even a 5-second 40, I mean, how much is that going to weigh on his injury? I mean, even if he runs it now... He's not going to run it as he would if he was completely healthy with b- two good feet. At, a, at 100%, was he a burner in the first place? Was he running like a 4-3 in the first no, place? No, they kind of compare him a lot to Larry Fitzgerald, the guy who's got quickness but doesn't have a lot of top speed, and we all know what kind of impact Larry Fitzgerald has had in the NFL. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I, I don't understand why Crabtree's doing this, especially with a bad foot. <clears throat> Even if he was fully healthy, I would not be running this 40. You know, He's already been projected to go top five in a lot of mock drafts, a lot of you know, people like Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay, I believe, both had the Seattle Seahawks taking him at one point with the fourth overall pick. And so, um, to me, this doesn't make sense. He's been absolutely dominant in college. Uh, you know, he's got great hands, great, great ability. I mean, guy has unbelievable ability, one of the best college prospects I have ever seen. Um, even in that Texas Tech offense that makes players look a lot better than they actually are. And so... It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, but even if he does run a poor 40-yard 40 dash, I still think a lot of teams will kind of overlook that when drafting him. He might slip a few spots, but I think teams do know how good he is, and they'll probably convince themselves that the stress fracture in his foot did cause him to you know, drop a few seconds in that 40 or a few you know, tenths of a second. I think people might be concerned, like, 
granted his injury is not as bad as this, but you remember when Willis blew out his knee at Miami? Willis McGahee blew his knee out. He he was a top five pick, a top ten pick. But once he hurt his knee, a lot of people said, I don't know if He's I want to. still in the first round, yep, though. I think he went in the 20s. So a lot of people passed him up, though. So this might happen with Crabtree. A lot of people know how good he is. But will this fact that he's going to have surgery, they say he might be out, what, 10 weeks or something like that. He could miss some, some training camps or with the, the OTAs for the rookies, the rookie camps. He might be missing some time. So if you're drafting this guy, are you going to be able to draft him knowing that he won't be there for you right away? So that, that's kind of a tough call. You know, another injury that happened during the NFL Combine was Jeremy Macklin, the wide receiver for Mizzou. He actually left with an injury and came back and finished the Combine. He was able to run the 40 before that injury. He ran a 4-4-5. Pretty strong. A guy that could jump ahead of Crabtree with all the circumstance that Crabtree's going through. But the fastest 40 time as wide receivers go is from Maryland, Darius Hayward Bev. And um, guys that stand out, Penn State's Deion Butler was the fourth fastest with a four three eight forty, and that makes you fourth fastest with a four three eight. Now that, that tells you how fast the wide receiver core is compared to last year when there were more six five, six four, six three big body type guys as opposed to true burners. This year you got a lot of six foot Percy Harvin, Deion Butler, smaller guys. Even Crabtree's not huge. Harvin ran a four four one. So I mean, you, you look at all these receivers, Macklin and. And uh, Crabtree were probably going to go to the Raiders and the Seahawks. Either one of the two were probably going to go to the Raiders or the Seahawks. Now with these injuries, you don't know. Are they going to pass them up? Now Percy Harvin might step up in there. Like you said, Hayward Bev might step up in there. My man Hakeem Nix from uh, North, North Carolina, Carolina yeah. you know, has a chance to make a name for himself. Now this wide receiver core is pretty deep. A lot of speed there. You can't really go wrong anywhere in this draft. You know, a guy that really stands out to me, I remember watching this bowl game, Ole Miss and Texas Tech. Mike Wallace, the wide receiver for Ole Miss, he made some of the most amazing catches. I don't know if you guys saw the bowl game, but he was electric. He ran a 4-3-3, the second fastest for the wide receivers. But he's a guy that could go under the radar, maybe a late first round, early second or third round pick even. But this guy, I think, could make a big impact for the wide receivers in this draft. Yeah, he could. Uh, that'll be interesting. We see a lot of wide receivers. Uh... You know, I see a lot of guys who are projected to go in the first round maybe slip a little bit, but a lot of the guys who are maybe projected to go in the fourth or the fifth round kind of sneak up to the third round with a team. They get taken really by the Lions. They're highlight reel and, obsess- and, and obsessed over them. The guy who I really like, and you mentioned him, is Hakeem Nix. Guy with not a lot of speed, but if you saw him, and I believe that the Meineke car carabole, unbelievable the, yep. the type of plays that he made. He was, honest to God, a one-man show. I'd never seen any wide receiver have that kind of an impact in a game. And he guy made, made made circus catches, one-handed grabs. I mean, he made, I mean, I can't even recall, I mean, really defy description the kind of plays that he made. So it will be interesting to see where he goes because, again, a guy with not a lot of speed, but we'll see if a team overlooks that and because the guy can get off the get off the line of scrimmage, and that's really important, and he's got great hands, and he seems to have you know, a pretty good head on his shoulders, and so we'll, we'll see what happens with him. I think he, this, he ran a four four nine forty, by the way, and that's bad, the only that's the only bad. thing he did in the NFL Combine. He didn't do any other event. He didn't have to. I mean, he showed his hands. He was at a couple of drills during the bowl weekend, or a couple of those shows on ESPN or ABC. But what I noticed most about this, you know, you look at this receiver class. It's pretty deep. There's a lot of good guys. And receiver and cornerback, I truly believe, are the two hardest positions to step in and play right away in the NFL. I think a quarterback could be a game manager if they have a solid offensive line. They could play right away. You saw that with Flacco and, and Matt Ryan. But I think to step in and be an impact at wide receiver in this league is pretty difficult. You very rarely, if ever, see that. You know, So I think that the fact that all of these guys are being talked about as possible first-round picks, whereas last year everyone was being talked about as a first-round pick, and then the first wide receiver wasn't taken until, I think, pick 30 in the, in the second round or yeah, something like Donnie that. Avery exactly. Avery. So I, I, if these guys go in the first round more than two, I'll be surprised. But they can play. I just think a lot of teams are going to find second- and third-round gyms here. You know, it just brings me to the point where me and you were talking before the show, and, you know, the Vikings and the Texans pulled off a trade that sent te- the Texans sent Sage Rosenfels to the Vikings for a fourth round pick, and you asked me why did they just give it a give a backup away for a fourth round pick? Because this draft is so deep, you guy you can get a guy from the, in the fourth round. I mean, I, I, obviously, any year you can you can get that kind of diamond in the rough. But this year, it seems like there's so many impact players, so many guys you can get like a Mike Wallace. He could fall to a fourth round. I I, I don't know exactly, but you could get guys in the fourth round, fifth round. 
I mean, you you can get guys, but do you want to you want to rely on these guys? Do you want to rely on your fourth and fifth rounders to be your backup quarterback or your starting wide receiver? I mean, you might not really want to be that, but if, if you have no choice, I guess you have to. Well, I I, I kind of disagree. I think the true gems in this draft are going to be the second and the third rounders. I look at the top ten, and I'm I'm not to be honest, I'm not that intrigued by it. I think the teams that are going to be be really good are the teams like the Lions, actually, who have a lot of picks in the second and the third round and even the fourth round because there are a lot of impact players, guys who aren't that sexy, the guys that aren't going to jump up draft boards, but guys who are just good, hard-nosed football players that are going to be immediate impact players. And also, the thing with these second and third rounders is there's no guaranteed money and the contracts are a lot lower, so you can get a quality guy to get in there and start maybe if you're the Detroit Lions for pretty cheap, and you can still afford to maybe make a big splash in free agency and get a guy like Albert Hainsworth if he's willing to come over here. Hopefully, but I, I just mean you you got to be careful with these second and third round picks. Remember, the Lions picked Sean Cody out of USC, and he was a great defensive tackle at USC. He was going to be on the Lions line for years, and he was a second or a third rounder. He never plays. Like, so I think if Careful gonna, with a guy like Malaluga, then. I'm, I'm, well, I mean, that guy. I, I, wouldn't take, I wouldn't take any guy from USC. I, I depend, you got a point there. I mean, with the exception of uh, Carson Palmer, a lot of them don't have great track records. Reggie Bush is still, you know, he's not a bust. He's not a, a great pick yet. He's kind of in the middle. So you're right, these USC guys don't have a great rap. But you got to be careful taking these second and third rounders hoping to land gems. You're right. It's a great gamble. But sometimes it pays off huge, but sometimes you're stuck holding a busted draft pick. Now we're going to move on to talking about some Michigan State guys in the NFL Combine. I'm going to start with Brian Hoyer, who surprisingly uh, has the second-best arm after the, this weekend in the NFL Combine for quarterbacks. Second-best behind Pat White, of all people, who wow. is known to be the runner. And Pat White proved to have the best arm so far in this NFL Combine. How about so, that irony? Uh, yeah, I, I, absolutely. Brian Hoyer runs a 4 I mean, guys. That, guy, there are guys that ran slower. Graham Harrell ran a five oh seven. Curtis Painter ran a four nine two from Purdue. Oh, that's a, that's but, a big guy. He's bigger than Hoyer. You know, Brian Hoyer's not gonna run out of the pocket too much. He's not gonna really surprise you with his speed. But you know what? He's got a pretty good arm, and everybody is giving him the benefit of the doubt that he was throwing to three freshmen last year as the wide receivers. I'll, I'll tell you this right now. I've taken so much from. So many people up here in East Lansing because I'm one of the biggest Brian Hoyer haters you will ever meet. And the thing is, the guy has the physical tools to be a quarterback. Bottom line, he can throw. Like you say, he's got a big arm, quick delivery. He can throw the deep ball. He's got the tools. You saw that with Devin Thomas. You saw some of the throws he made this year. That wasn't the problem. The problem is between the ears. I felt that he made mental mistakes that you can't make as a senior quarterback or as a quarterback, period. Not looking off your receivers. You know, hitting the check down when you need to get more than three yards. It's, you know, just... Mental things I felt was his problem, but the fact that he's going into this combine and showed out and has the second strongest arm behind, as you said, of all people, Pat White. I'm over here trying not to fall out of my chair because this tells you a lot about this quarterback class that Brian Hoyer yeah. is going to be one of the first five quarterbacks taken in this draft. Yeah, yeah. Gra- granted, uh, a couple of guys didn't throw. Matt Stafford has not thrown the ball. He didn't want to do that. And basically, what you're saying is, you know, Brian Hoyer will get weeded out. Through the Wonderlick test. That's what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you, know, <laughs> you know, it really doesn't surprise me that scouts are kind of salivating over Brian Hoyer's physical skills because, like you said, he's got a strong arm. He's accurate. He's got a quick release. He's got those physical tools that you look for in a quarterback. But, again, two years as a starter, and he, he didn't really progress a lot at all. I mean, you got to cut him some slack because his receivers dropped so many balls this season that those really hurt his completion percentage, and then he even probably cost him a couple of touchdown passes. And, I think the other thing about his receivers this year, they didn't have breakaway speed, especially during the Georgia game, so he kind of forced a lot of throws, and that kind of cost him. But one player Brian Hoyer kind of reminds me of is Chad Henney, you know, the old U of M quarterback, the guy who started for four years in the sense that both guys had very strong arms, but their biggest bugaboo was, was pocket awareness. They did not look off wide receivers. They would attach themselves to a wide receiver. They wouldn't look off him. And, you know, a cornerback, a safety, they would read him the entire way, and they would pick him off, and, and, you know, that would drive a coach nuts. But if you look for a quick release, strong arm, accurate arm, Brian Hoyer's your man, but I just don't think he has the intangibles you look for. A guy that Brian Hoyer reminds me of is another former Michigan State quarterback, Jeff Smoker, a guy who, you know, hung around the NFL as like a third stringer, who had a lot of a lot of success, minus the off-the-field issues. <laughs> Thank you, Jamal. But, you know, a guy that you know still got an NFL job for a few years. He was drafted by the Rams 
was a third-string quarterback. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he had some stardom with Michigan State. He <coughs> had that pass to T.J. Duckett in the back of the end zone. So, you know, but Brian Hoyer could get a shot as a third-string. And, you know, you, you never know, due to injuries, you know, Matt Castle, you got you could get your chance. Stranger things happen, especially with quarterbacks. I think, like you said, one of the physical tools that I remember is Brian Hoyer talking about how he played baseball in high school. And you can really tell because they talk about the fastball that a quarterback can throw. He's got such a strong arm that I think a lot of those drops were because he threw the ball as hard as he possibly could to squeeze it into a tight space. He's got a, a real strong arm. And, you know, with these quarterbacks, you, you're right. You never know. Chad Henney was a four-year starter at one of the most prestigious football schools in the country. Granted, he had Braylon Edwards bailing him out the first year. And, you know, he had Mike Hart with him. So he had he had some help. But as a four-year starter... You know, he made a name for himself, and he was a, I think, second round, first pick of the second round by the Dolphins. You know, I don't know if he'll ever play, but he was a high draft pick. So you're right. You know, you never know what you can do with a little bit of a workout. No, I mean, the thing with Brian Hoyer is, I mean, just uh, again, just I, I don't really, I just don't trust the guy. I mean, <laughs> I, I would maybe as a third string quarterback, but you know, the guy can who can hold the clipboard for you. But I just, I just don't trust him as a quarterback. Funny thing is, I was actually reading today that the Lions, uh organization met with Brian Hoyer. They interviewed him, and I guess maybe the Lions will consider draft game with a late round. How funny would that be if the Lions to Drew Stanton it's he's nearby. and Brian Hoyer you know, on, on the quarterback roster? That would just be a riot, and you know what? Given the Lions' mistakes in the past, it really wouldn't surprise me, even under new organization. I'll ask the Spartan, under, under I'll ask Spartan fans right now. Who would you rather have as a quarterback, Drew Stanton or Brian Hoyer? I'm talking about Michigan State, not the Ooh. NFL. Who would you rather have lining up under center if you're Michigan State, Drew Stanton or Brian Hoyer? I'm pretty sure most people will say Drew Stanton. I don't know. I don't, I could be, I don't I could know. Be wrong. I could be wrong. I, I think Drew Stanton has a history of making even worse decisions than Brian Hoyer because Drew, you know, that game against Notre Dame, that throwing throwing the interception that ended <laughs> the game. Yeah, Drew Stanton I, also has a history of getting beat up, though. Like We had a really <sighs> bad offensive line. But at the same time, if you would think that Drew Stanton was that much better than Brian Hoyer in college, Drew Stanton can't even get any clock in the NFL. So we'll see how this works out. It's guys that come from small schools, you know, Donovan McNabb from Syracuse, Ben Roethlisberger, Miami, Ohio. We've Phillip, talked about Phillip this Rivers, on this North show. State. You know, Jay Cutler, Vanderbilt. You guys, you have you have guys that come from unheard of schools, you know, that aren't really famous for producing quarterbacks, and they succeed <laughs> in the NFL. It's the guys that come out of nowhere. So, now Javon Ringer, he ran a four six forty. It's uh, overall average for running backs. Um, a guy like Sean Green, who really hurt his stock. Everybody's criticizing him that he's a one year wonder. He's kind of trying to capitalize on that one amazing year, running for 100 yards in every game this year. Ran a 4-7-40. Ouch. Let, let, me, let me say this about Javon Ringer, and I love the guy. I love Javon Ringer more than anyone else at the school loves him and respects him. I think he's a great guy and a great player. He was a great player in college. I do not think he's going to be a good NFL player. I don't think he's got the speed. The, I mean, I think he's got the toughness, but I don't think he's got the speed to break away from college play, I mean, to, from NFL players. I just don't really think he's got the shiftiness, the agility, agility, the elusiveness. The guy, I don't think he's the kind of guy that will be able to get to the second level in the NFL. Um, he is a workhorse, and so I think maybe some team would, you know, maybe, will maybe take a flyer at him in the fourth round. Before I thought maybe he might be a, a late first rounder or a second rounder, and I think also he kind of suffered down the stretch during the college football season because he was just overused by Mark D'Antonio. But uh, I, I really do not think that Brian. That I think Brian Hoyer might have more NFL potential than Javon Ringer. Yeah, you know, I mean that, that's that's how you know cautious I would be with ta- with a guy like Javon. Two of the top three forty times for running backs, Ian Johnson, Boise State. If you remember the no doubt the no trick doubt. play, mm-hmm. and Corey Sheets from <coughs> Purdue. Yeah, he was he's four, a fast four, guy. Seven. Yep. They, I mean that's that spread that they were running. They needed those type of burners. Like Purdue could Purdue have quarterbacks. And fast wide receivers. I know Corey Sheets was a running back, but he caught a lot of passes for that team, too. The thing about Javon is he is such a workhorse. He's strong in the weight room. He can bench press a ton. He can squat a ton. The guy can lift. And, you know, he's a very durable back. He showed this year that he can he can handle the rock a lot. I see him being a com- complimentary back in the NFL because you talk about his speed. That was one of the knocks on him in college. He very rarely got to the next level here. I think the longest run I remember having him was against Michigan, and he still almost got caught by a defensive end. So, you know, I, I don't know if, if that'll be, uh, you know, an issue for him, but I see him being a complimentary yeah, back. Another thing I was going to mention here, 
Uh, Norshawn Moreno and Javon Ringer, Georgia, bowl game, Michigan State, nearly identical numbers in the combine. They both ran an identical 4-6-0-40, and uh, Norshawn Moreno actually had two more reps on the bench press, but almost identical numbers. And a guy that I see that's standing out here, I'm looking at the results, Donald Brown from Connecticut, Connecticut. runs a 4-5-40, but besides that, his vertical, 41 5 mm. Donald Brown this year, from a production standpoint, he was right up there with Javon in terms of yardage, carries. I think he actually finished with more yards than Javon did. So he was a guy that the whole year he showed what he can do. I didn't know that he had this type of physical ability, but now that you know that he can produce and he has the tools, that's a guy that's going to be a steal in the fourth round because I guarantee no one's taking him until three or four. Yeah, Donald Brown, I watched him play a couple of games, and you know the guy really impressed me. A lot like Javon, their numbers were very identical throughout the year, only, you know, Javon Ringer kind of flamed out toward the end, while Donald Brown kept on doing it, kept on chugging. And that was in a, you know, granted, that was in a lousier conference. The Big East is not great in football. Um, everyone knows that. And, you know, so you can't really put too much stock in that. I don't know if Donald Brown um, will be a great NFL player or even a good NFL player, but, I mean, it's surprising to me that he had that he has that kind of physical ability because you see a guy like that and, you know, I, I guess kind of a one-hit wonder just like Sean Green, but, you know, I'm not sure how good he'll be in the NFL. As for Sean Green... I'm not really sure where I stand on him either. I loved watching him at Iowa. I mean, that guy was bruising, but the thing about it is in the NFL, you're not going to shed those tackles like you did in the college game. The only running back in this group that I can look at without a shadow of a doubt and say they will be successful, Beanie Wells. The knock on him was his health at Ohio State, was that he had a lot of injuries. Beanie Wells has that combination of power and speed that makes him elite at the NFL level. He could stiff arm with the best of them in college, and he could still run away from safety. So He reminds me of a guy like Lendale White, a big physical back like Lendale. Well, I think Beanie Wells has more raw physical ability than than, uh, than Lendale White. I think Beanie Wells is the breakaway speed that Lendale White didn't possess. Beanie Wells is everything you look for in a quarterback. I'm sorry, in a running back. The problem with him, though, is his durability and it's his mental toughness. You don't really know how hard he tries when he's on the field. They showed some highlights where you know he's kind of stepping out of bounds instead of finishing plays. You'd like to see that out of out of uh, you know a guy you're going to invest millions and millions of dollars in. Um, do I think Beanie Wells is by far the most talented running back in this class? Absolutely. I think Beanie Wells would probably have been the most talented running back in last year's draft, too. I, I think he's that good. And I would take him probably with uh, a late pick in the first round. But a guy like that, I don't know how comfortable I feel investing millions and millions of dollars in him. So you would have rather had Beanie Wells than Darren McFadden? Uh, yeah, I, I'd, wow. I'd say so. I, I, I'm going to say McFadden. I, would, yeah, I'd say I would McFadden, say McFadden. But, so, okay. All right. I'm not really. I, you know, Darren McFadden, I, he, was a, he was a tall guy, and he's more versatile. He can do more things. He's better. He was better through the passing game and than Beanie Wells. Is. Beanie Wells is more of your, your classic, you know, downhill running back. But, you know, I would definitely rather have him than Darren McFadden. I, I really wasn't sure about Darren McFadden, um, you know, entering the draft. And I think he had a pretty good year. But, you know, I, I think Beanie Wells has more potential. I just, I'm not sure as an, as an owner I'd be willing to invest that kind of money in him. No doubt. Well, I'm going to give some love to the Big Ten, see these Big Ten guys in the NFL Combines. Tyrell Sutton, the running back for Northwestern, ran a 4 6 um, Sean Green, like I said, ran a 4 7 and then you have a guy like, uh, well, Beanie Wells, who ran a four five nine. So we'll see. We'll see. Corey Sheets is really, though, surprising from Purdue. Um, we're going to move on to uh, other NFL. Actually, no. We're going to stay on the NFL draft. We're going to address the uh, year-end question every year. Who will the Lions draft? This is the worst-kept secret in the, in the NFL. Everyone knows this. I don't know why more people are talking about Matt Stafford. The Lions are taking a lineman with the number one pick. It's just, it's going to be between... I have two guys listed here. Jason Smith, Eugene Monroe. I really liked Eugene Monroe. You know, I like Michael Orr from Ole Miss, but a lot of people are saying that number one would be too high for this guy. Jason Smith, you know, threw up a lot of reps at the, what was it, 225? I think he had 33 reps of that at the combine. He bench-pressed a lot, and he's impressing some people. I think if he has a pro day and he puts these numbers up again, I think Jason Smith is the number one pick in the draft. Well, I don't know if it's going to be Jason Smith or Andre Smith, the guy from Alabama, or Eugene Monroe, but they need to draft the tackle. I mean, I, th- I think at this point, I think someone on ESPN wrote about it, if you draft an offensive lineman, I mean, that will just make a left tackle. That makes your entire line better. I think you can move Jeff Backus, maybe try test him out at guard, and I know they are considering that. 
And I don't know I know they have Gosser Cherlis on the right ta- at right tackle. You can let Jeff back as compete with Cherlis. Last year's first round pick, Gosser Cherlis. <laughs> yep. yep, and what a pick that was. You can let back as compete with Cherlis on the right side. But but if you draft an impact left tackle, that I mean that's the most important position on the offensive line, the most important position on the field, you know, other than quarterback. And so I think you need to draft linemen. And you know that Jim Schwartz, what he wants to do is he wants to build his team the right way, which is inside out. You first you draft the line, you get a foundation in there, and then you know maybe next year or the year after that, then they start adding pieces like a quarterback and skill position players around it. But first you got to win in the trenches. Jim Schwartz knows this. That's been his mo at Tennessee, in Baltimore, in Cleveland, wherever he's been. He knows that you got to build teams from the inside out. And so I guarantee you they draft a tackle. And if they draft Matthew Stafford, that would be an extremely negligent decision because Stafford, frankly, is too inconsistent. I worry that he's not a winner, um, and a lot of people talk about the guys next year, Colt McCoy, Sam Bradford. I'm not sold on either one of those guys either, but you'll see what happens down the line. You know, you'll add a quarterback maybe next year or the year after that. Um, this year, though, you got to go O-line. got to. You know, with the kind of uh, demand that Matthew Stafford is receiving from a lot of different teams, the kind of interest he's receiving, the Lions could trade down, maybe stay in the top 10 somewhere, but they could still trade down and get that one of those offensive tackles, either Jason Smith or Eugene Monroe, or they could get a guy like Aaron Curry from Wake Forest. I really like that guy, linebacker. He could be a really impact guy, but I think we're you know, all in agreement that they should go defense or, you or, know, or, or O-line. Right. Yeah, the problem with the draft and trading down is no one wants the number one pick. There's no consensus number one pick this year. Most of the teams in the top five have a quarterback already. Jamarcus Russell, you know, at Oakland. They've got Tim Hasselback and... and uh, Matt you know, Hasselback. Yeah, excuse me, Matt. There's 17 Hasselbacks. One <laughs> of the Hasselbacks is in Seattle. So most of these teams have quarterbacks. So I don't think there'll be a really a high need for that number one pick. I really think that, you know, they got a solid tackling guys on the right side. Steven Peterman's the right guard. Domriel is the center. Moving Jeff back is in the left guard. Make, take this guy, start him from left tackle from day one, whoever you pick, and you're good to go. There's 400 quarterbacks in the draft next year, all of them better than the ones in this draft. Colt McCoy, Tim Tebow, and the guy from Oklahoma is probably going to come out next Sam year. Bradford. Sam Bradford. So it, I'll take those three guys over any of these guys right now. It's really not, it's just not worth to take a quarterback right now. A lot of people think that the Lions are going to make a Miami Dolphins like turnaround and all they need is a quarterback. People who think that are, are drinking the Kool-Aid. They they need so much more than a quarterback, and they're not even close to a turnaround. They are so flawed in so many areas on the football field that to even think about the you know the possibility that they can make a turnaround next season is is simply a pipe dream. It's simply not going to happen. They'll be lucky to win four games next year with the amount of talent they have on the team. Even if they sign a bunch of bona fide free agent players, and they're still going to be so far away. That means they need to start building in the trenches. And once you build in the trenches and you have an offensive line, then you can start adding pieces. Right now, if they draft a quarterback, they are setting him up to fail, especially especially a guy like Matthew Stafford, who's been, whose decision-making has been, in, has been called into question. You know, you're really just setting him up to fail. That's what they did with Joey Harrington. They've done that countless times with different quarterback prospects. They've put him in there with a poor offensive line, some decent skill position players around him. But without that old line, you're scrambling. You're running for your life every single time. I mean, you're just screwed. Now, obviously, we're not talking about Andre Smith at all from Alabama because he decided not to participate in the NFL Combine. and He decided to go elsewhere. Where did he go, Jamal? Home. He went home? He just left. This is red flag number two, because if you remember, he didn't play in the Sugar Bowl because he decided to hire an agent before even announcing that, you know, the season's still going on. He's got an agent. Now, not only does he not show up, he shows up late, leaves, doesn't tell anybody where he's going. He just left. Where is he? Maurice Claret? Man, at least Maurice Claret got paid. It just just reminds me, like, stupid decisions guys make regarding the NFL Combine, hiring agents, Game boosters. Maurice Claret is in the same class with Andre Smith, and or the other way around. So yeah, it's, it's it's rough. Andre Smith was going to be the number one pick in the draft, most likely, and he blew it. You know, all it takes with the Lions. I mean, if they can have a strong class, you saw what the Dolphins did. Like you said, Alex. You know, if they have a guy, they draft a tackle and get some protection for a quarterback. You never know. Whoever's the quarterback for the Lions, as long as he's got some time to throw in the pocket. Culpepper didn't do so that bad. I mean, the thing with the Lions is this. They need 10 players on defense. Keep Ernie Sims, 
upgrade everybody else. So that while their first pick can be offensive line, everything else needs to be defense-oriented. And the thing about Miami is your number one pick was a tackle. Jake Long went to the Pro Bowl. You had a veteran quarterback in free agency, you know, and then they already had Ted Ginn for for a wide receiver. They had some people on defense already. They had multiple running backs, Ricky Williams and Ronnie Brown. They had weapons there, kind of like the Lions. They got Kevin Smith. They got Chad Johnson. Excuse me, Calvin Johnson. So they've got weapons. It's just they need to upgrade the offensive the offensive line and the entire defense. It can be done. I don't know if it will be, but it, they can turn it around. The guy I love for the Lions is Sean McDonald. I think he's the guy that doesn't get as much hype. That's because he played for St. Louis, all right? No, no, no. I don't no. think Sean McDonald's that great. I think he was a slot receiver, product of playing in an offense that featured Roy Williams and Calvin Johnson around him. And so teams would leave him open. Sure, he caught a lot of balls. So did your other boy from St. Louis, Mike Fury. But, you know, where is he now? Or Kevin Curtis for the Eagles. Because they changed their offense and he became worthless. We'll see, man. We'll see. The Lions need help and a prayer. That's what they need. Yeah. They could still screw this up. There's no guarantee they get it right. I mean, I like like Jason Smith and, you know, I like Eugene Monroe. I don't really – it doesn't really matter to me, though, whether they want to take a tackle. As long as they they draft someone along the offensive or defensive line. Because you look at teams like Tennessee – I mean, not great skill positions around them. Chris Johnson was a great player for Tennessee, but you know, can you name three wide receivers on that team? Probably not. They weren't very good. They had Kerry Collins, a veteran, as their quarterback. I mean, an unheralded guy, a guy who's just a guy, really. Just a guy who can make a throw. That's, that's all he really is. But they had great defensive line. They had a great offensive line, and that that's why they were productive. If B.J. Raji, the guy from Boston College, they feel is the best guy along the trenches, um, you know, in this draft, and I would take him at defensive tackle. I would just take the best guy available on the defensive or offensive line. Yeah, you know, the only reason I can name three receivers on the Titans is because I play fantasy football. <laughs> I think I, I was thinking that same thing. Like I didn't have uh, not one. Titan. Justin Gage, Brandon Jones, and Justin McCarrens. No, yeah. I don't know. I know the first one. I know Gage, and I don't know the other. And, Justin and, Gage and, played and, in between the zoo. Those, uh, between the three of them, they probably caught a total of like 60, 70 balls. I mean, both Scaife was a decent tight end, but I, you know, you know the point I'm getting at. Though, yeah. put a team like put a guy like Kelvin Johnson on that team. And they have like 800 catches. I think yeah, the worst crazy. part about having the number one pick is you, you're usually in the draft, you want to say draft the position that you have the most need at. Well, A, the Lions have needs everywhere. And B, you're giving this person guaranteed $30, $35 million signing bonus out the gate before they ever play it down. Just like Calvin Johnson, he got a crazy contract before he ever stepped foot on the field. So you can't just say, okay, I'm going to take a weak side linebacker, number one, and give him $800 million, you know, and hope he works out. You can't just say, all right, I want a defensive tackle who's going to have 50 tackles as a rookie and give him $35 million. Jake Long, had, Jake Long got $70 million and like $20 million signing bonus up front. Up front. Well, I mean, he went to the Pro Bowl. So some people can say he earned it, but you're right. You don't want to give money like this to people who you hope pan out. The number one pick should be a sure thing. That's why they say draft offensive linemen because, hey, if they're average at best, it worked out because, you know, average is better than mediocre. Especially if, especially with a guy like Matthew Stafford and guys who are underclassmen quarterbacks, guys mm-hmm. who usually have not had great success rates, um, you know, when, when making that jump to the NFL, usually a senior season to kind of polish their skills is, is in order. But Look at next year's quarterbacks. you got Colt McCoy, who's been starting at Texas for three, maybe four years, succeeded Vince Young. So he had big shoes to fill. He's done well there. You look at Tim Tebow, who's already has two national championships. A lot of people don't like him as a pure quarterback, but the guy's a winner. He plays tough, right? Like you said, the other guy, Sam Bradford at Oklahoma, the best, most proficient quarterback in the country this year. I think he's a sophomore, true sophomore. Next year he's going to be, what, a junior? So that would be three years starting at a big program like Oklahoma. I mean, these guys that they're talking about have, like you said, they've played. They've started for years. The quarterbacks in this draft are a little raw. So I, I really like next year's class, even on talent and, and you know, experience. And if they want to take a quarterback, take a flyer and a guy like Pat White. I mean, what do you have to lose? I mean, even if he's not, doesn't pin out a quarterback, you got a wide receiver, you got someone. you got an athlete. He is, I mean, and Pat White, you know, like there, there's something about him. You know, you just kind of have a feeling that he's going to be a good player in the NFL. And the fact that he's got a strong arm, that's shocking to me because he kind of showed that in the North Carolina game. I think he had a career-high yep. 300-something yards. Three touchdowns. But, you know, his knock was always his, his arm strength. We all, we, all, we know what he can do on the ground. And the thing about Pat White is he's a winner. I mean, that guy was a winner at, at, at West Virginia, a great person. I mean, you, you saw Bill Stewart kind of break down in tears, the West Virginia head coach, when he had to, when he had to let Pat White go at the end of that game. I mean, any time a, co- a player can have that kind of effect on a coach, I mean, you know that he's worth taking a chance on in a, in a later round. I mean, I would do that. Absolutely. We're going to get on to some other NFL news 
can't talk about the NFL Combine the entire time. Uh, NFL news, the uh, greatest duo, quarterback-to-wide receiver combo, is coming to an end. The Colts are going to release Marvin Harrison. Harrison had a uh, mediocre year. He was overshadowed by Reggie Wayne. But, uh, you know, uh, Harrison just declined to restructure his contract. He doesn't want to take less money. And uh, what do you guys make of this? I think, you know, he let his ego get the best of him. I mean, he had a good thing going there. He won the Super Bowl. He was with the Colts for 13 years. Um, You know, Reggie Wayne made him expendable. So when you have a guy who's young and up and coming like Reggie Wayne, you can't afford to be a stickler over a couple of dollars if you're a veteran like, you know, uh, you know, like 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 Harrison did. I mean, look at what Amani Toomer's done in New York. Plax was the man and Amani Toomer knew that I'll take less money if it means I'll get to play with a guy that's better than me. I got no shame in that. But now that he's gone, a guy I like Rod Smith with the Broncos for so many years. So many years. Mushin Muhammad with the Panthers. I mean, this do- this doesn't hurt the Colts because they're going to reload. They're just going to get another guy, plug him right in there, and keep on pushing. But why wouldn't Harrison, you know, overlook that ego? Because he's having legal problems too. What other team's going to take a chance on him? It's just like you know, Philly. People not taking a chance on Barry Bonds because of all the steroids and everything. I, I think Who's going to want to take a chance on Harrison? His legal troubles are, are like you said, that just that. They're troubling, but he has a track record. He's a proven, sure-handed wide receiver. He has and lost he's 37. a step. He has lost a step, but someone's going to want him to be their third or fourth receiver. you telling me that with the Philadelphia Eagles injuries that Kevin Curtis has had, the rookie season that Deshaun Jackson had, and how Jason Avant really hasn't proven to be a go-to guy, he could be the fourth wide receiver on that team, and I guarantee one of the three guys I already mentioned gets hurt. He steps right in. It's just too bad that Harrison hasn't acknowledged the fact that he's, you know, his, his best years are behind him. I mean, it happens with everybody. Maybe he's in denial or something like that, but he had a great thing going on there in Indianapolis. He was absolutely adored by the fans, had a great relationship with Peyton Manning. Uh, you know, maybe the fact that Tony Dungy isn't returning has something to do with it. But, you know, it just it happens with every great wide receiver. Every wide receiver, eventually you kind of lose that extra step. And you start to become scared when you're catching balls over the middle. I mean, those are just natural effects um, for a wide receiver when they're, when they're on the decline of their careers. And so Harrison obviously thinks that he's got a couple years left. And you know what? He has every right to, to not want to restructure his contract. I mean, he was owed that money, and so he, he, he should have that right, and he should not be criticized for, for declining to do so. But you know, he'll want to go somewhere else. Maybe, maybe he, maybe he'll prove all of us wrong, and and he will have a couple more decent seasons as a one or two wide receiver. But I mean, that being said, his best years are behind him. Another guy that's another guy that's been released by the Jacksonville Jaguars, Fred Taylor. He's going to talk to the Patriots now, kind of like what happened with Corey Dillon finally getting released by the Bengals, going to the Patriots, and look what he's done there. You know, it kind of rejuvenated his career. So Fred Taylor could go to the Patriots. And split time with Lawrence Maroney. You don't know how healthy Maroney is after being out for the rest of that season last year. So Fred Taylor could possibly go to the Patriots. It's not a done deal or anything, but it might be a good fit for him. I never liked Fred Taylor like I never liked Emmett Smith. I mean, like, they're just guys who have been around forever. Fred Taylor's been in the league, I think, 10, 11 years. And he's got all of his yards because he's been around 10, 11 years. He was never the fastest. He was never the most powerful. He was never the quickest. But somehow he just kept picking up yardage. And so when I say I don't like him, I just mean, like, you don't, you don't think of him as an elite back like you do LaDangling Thomason or, or even Adrian Peterson, guys that you can name one skill. Like, oh, they're fast. They've got great hands, et cetera. So I think he will go somewhere that needs a veteran, and he will split time because that's what he's been doing the last three years in Jacksonville anyway. So it's going to work out fine for him. I think he could be a good compliment for the Patriots. I mean, they also have uh, Ben Jarvis Greenhouse, the the guy who was an undrafted rookie last season. But, you know, when you take a guy like Fred Taylor, a guy who's been released by the Jaguars, it's kind of a high-risk, you know, low-reward kind of thing. You're going to get him for cheap, and, you know, if he can give you 300, 400 yards as as a backup for Maroney and Greenhouse, I mean, he's just another guy. He adds depth, and you can never have enough depth at running back in the NFL, especially nowadays when you see so many teams using those two-back, even three-back systems like the Giants do. And so if he goes to the Patriots, I think that'd be a good pickup. You know, we got about a minute and a half left. Last thing to throw out here, 49ers and the Vikings are interested in acquiring the rights to Michael Vick. The Vikings just acquired Sage Rosenfels from the Texans, but can Michael Vick actually gets out of jail in July, you know, right around time for minicamp, training camps. 
Do you think he'll get a job, and will he get a start? I, th- I think Michael Vick will be in the NFL next year. I think he gets out in July. They're going to give him a year to get his head together, get his body back, because he hasn't played football in a while, so he's not going to play this year. Teams can't use him, and he can still play, but it won't be in the field this year. Uh, apologies to PETA. I want the Lions to, to, to take a look at Michael Vick. I think Michael Vick will get another shot in the NFL, like you said, whether it's this year or next year, but I think he will, and I think he'll be a, a good player. You know, that, that, that'll do it for the Spartan Sports Wrap. One more thing to finish on. Michigan State lost uh, one of its own sports athletes. Brad Van Pelt died last Tuesday of an apparent heart attack at age 57. Uh, he's, he played in the NFL for 14 years with the Giants, uh, the Raiders, and the Browns. He was on the Giants team with Lawrence Taylor. He was a linebacker right next to him. Um, died of an apparent heart attack in Owasso. Uh, played for Michigan State in 1973. Played two years for Gus Ganakis on the basketball team. So lost a really good guy. They've held a... Uh, had a moment of silence and uh, really dedicated stuff to him. So thanks for joining me here on the Spartan Sports Wrap for Alex Altman and Jamal Spencer. I'm Pavel Kaufman. That'll do it. See you next week. You've been listening to the Spartan Sports Wrap on Impact Exposure. Tune in every week for more of the greatest sports information, news, and analysis. Here and only here on Impact 89FM.